All right, continue standing as we read our scripture for today. We're in our series on the Apostles' Creed, using the Apostles' Creed rather as a template to declare what we believe. So that's the, the title of this series, and we're in part four. Our scripture passage this morning is coming out of the first chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We also have the verse on our screen, and uh, we're going to read this together. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Let's read this together. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative, Elizabeth, has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. As we have mentioned, we have been reciting on Sunday mornings for this 12 or 13 part series on what we believe. We've been reciting the Apostles' Creed. And I always want to begin our message by reminding you that the Creed, we're not preaching the Creed, but we're preaching the Bible and the message of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the creed is valuable and has authority only in the fact that it points us back to and affirms what scripture teaches. We said at the beginning of this series that in the early church they didn't have, they didn't have the Bibles that we had walking around. As a matter of fact, in those days all they had was the Old Testament. And, and they, they had the law. And so God... As he was working through the people of God, they began to communicate the word of God orally. But as people began to 
there used to be a lot of false teaching. There needed to be a standard that people could easily communicate as to what the truth was. The early church came up with the creed. And so I said before, a lot of churches say no creed but the Bible. And that's good. But the problem is, is that oftentimes people say no creed but the Bible, but then different people interpret what the Bible says or means differently. And so the creed finds value in the fact that in the midst of heresy, there is an understanding among those who are called Christians on what the scripture teaches and what all Christians, regardless of their denomination or their background, believe. And so today in part four of this series, we are focusing in on on the fact that we believe in Jesus and that we believe that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So we want to jump right into the text. You've got your outlines there. I hope you've got something to write with. And we want to jump right into this. Uh, Number one, observations from this text, because of God's love for us, God initiates, he does not abandon. See, there are people that believe, and I told you this before, there are people that believe that God just is this cosmic killjoy and he just created the world and spun it like a top and walked away and just said, we'll see what happens. And when mankind fell through Adam and Eve's disobedience, there are some theologians that believe that God just abandoned the world. And that's why all of these terrible things are happening that we're seeing. All of this political, uh, social, economical, racial upheaval in this world, they believe is the result of the fact that God just abandoned the earth, abandoned his creation, and we're done. But the first thing that we see in this text here is that God's not through. And because of God's love for you and me, God did not abandon us, but God initiates a process by which we can be restored to him. Luke one twenty six. it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God. God initiated communication. God initiated the process by which we would be restored to him. It was prophesied by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, where he says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And we know from the Christmas messages that Emmanuel means God with us. See, God is not a God who he was simply far away and and who is everywhere at the same time. But he's also a God who is intimately aware of what we're facing and wants to be near to us and wants us to be near to him. And so God initiates. He initiates. We don't don't have a way to get to heaven and and, and knock on the pearly gates and say, hey, Jesus, we got a problem down here. Can we get some help? And a lot of people even treat the fact that Jesus came as though it was reactionary. Well, because man sinned, God had to come up with another way. No, God knew. There are some that aren't going to do what I've told them to do. But you know what? I'm going to initiate a way that those who will serve me, that those who will love and obey me, there's a way for them to be restored in relationship to me. Even though they themselves didn't do anything initially to be separated from me, 
I'm going to provide a way for you to be in fellowship with me. Secondly, and this is affirmed, and we, we, we quote this in the creed, Mary was a virgin. See, the virgin birth is, has been, by historians, has been disputed. And, and, you know, people say all of these different things, and they, they probably say, like, Mary, how could this be? <laughs> but Scripture affirms that Mary was a virgin. We get this in, in Luke 1, uh, verses 27, and also in 34. Luke tells us that she was a virgin. When the angel comes and gives news, Mary says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. Quickly, number three. Did I get all that? Okay, all right. Number three, miraculous things happen when God's favor is upon you. Miraculous things happen when God's favor is upon you. That's how a virgin could conceive. <laughs> What's Luke say here? It says, the angel comes, Gabriel, he says, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And Mary's perplexed, and she says, What's he talking about? How, how do you greet somebody like this? You know, I don't understand this. Says so she was perplexed and she pondered this. And then he says to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. I declare to you today that there are some of you who don't realize that you have been favored by God. Some of us have been walking on our merry little way, living our mild-mannered life, and then all of a sudden we come smack dab into, oh wow, God, you have something more for me than what I thought. And I would tell you today that that's true for any and everyone in this room. That God's favor is upon you. Those of us who are not who are in this room that, that have not yet accepted Jesus Christ, the fact that you're living and moving and have your being, the fact that your needs are taken care of, the fact that you're not homeless out on the street with no clothes, affirms that God's favor is upon you. The fact that you're in this place at this time to sing praises to God and to worship Him and to hear the gospel preached affirms that God's favor is upon you. It is near you. And you might have been living your life thinking, God doesn't have a purpose for me. You know, I'm just, I'm just old Joe. I'm Sally. I'm Sue. I'm just a regular, ordinary person. I'm nobody special. Mary could probably say the very same thing. Mary's just minding her own business. She's doing what she does in her family. She's enjoying the life that she has. And now she's been betrothed to Joseph. And she's preparing for the wedding. And all of a sudden, God says, you know what? I got something special for you. You thought you were just a nobody. But my favor is upon you, the angel of the Lord tells her. And when the favor of God is upon you, miraculous things happen. So God's initiative plus God's favor equals endless possibilities. So you would say, God, how could, how could anything great happen in me and in my life? But I've got to tell you, Mary, I mean, Mary says, how could this be? Mary recognized that in the world's eyes, she was a nobody. Nobody important. Nobody of significant stature or status. She was a nobody. But the angel says, 
God has favored you. And so when God initiates something and God's favor is upon you, the possibilities are endless. Number four, Jesus was conceived, not made. See, there are some people that believe, yeah, Jesus walked on the earth, but but he was just somebody that was crafted and, and then God just dropped him down here. People don't believe that Jesus was, you know, as, as, as John 1, 1 tells us, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. A lot of people don't believe that. Historians and theologians throughout the time have had all these different ideas about who Jesus is and how he showed up. And they want to dispute this thing. But the Bible tells us that he was conceived. There are different ones who would say, what, what, you know, I don't understand that. I don't believe that. You know, how can this be? But what do we say? God's initiative plus God's favor, endless possibilities. Luke says in verse 31 of chapter 1, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall name him Jesus. See, some people wonder, did was Jesus this alien? I mean, you know, we've seen movies like that. And, and they wonder, but but John says in, in John chapter 1 and verse 11, it says he came to his own. See, scripture is very specific. It didn't say he, he came to the earthlings. He came to the inhabitants of earth. It says he came to his own, to his own people. And what does that mean? He was conceived. He was a flesh and blood man just like you and me. He was. So he was conceived, not made. See, God didn't create Jesus like Adam and Eve. He didn't take, you know, God didn't like, you know, fall into a deep sleep and do surgery and cut his own self and take his rib out and, you know, wrap some spirit around it and then, you know, throw it down on the earth and that became Jesus. But Jesus is the eternal, ever-existing, omnipotent, omniscient, all-powerful, seeing, knowing, ever-present God. But the Bible tells us that he left heaven and that through the power of the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Virgin Mary. So, you know, we've been talking about the creed, and the creed is important because Again, there are so many different theologies, so many different worldview ideas about who Jesus is. And there are some that believe, yeah, Jesus was real, but God beamed him from heaven down here. And he, you know, and then when, he, when his work was done, he just beamed me up, Jesus, you know, beamed me up, daddy, and beamed him up. But the Bible says that he was like you and I. And I don't know anybody here that got here any other way than by conception. You know, there are different groups out there. The, You know, I think of different groups, the Gnostics in particular. I mean, they have all these ideas. The God of the Old Testament is not the same as the God of the New Testament. And, you know, they have all of these things, these ideas about who Jesus is. But he is the Son of God. He has been conceived. And so in the, in the Nicene Creed, they had to, they put language in to really affirm who Jesus was. And so they talk about the fact that we believe in Jesus, but then they add to it. They say, begotten, not made. 
being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. We believe that God miraculously, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in Mary's womb, brought forth his son. Number five. Jesus' identity and rulership are both human and divine. We talked briefly about this last week. He, he, Jesus asked, as we said last week, who do men say I am? Then he asked the disciples, who do you say I am? When we talked about this last week. He said, you are the Christ. He used the definitive article. The, not a son of the living God, but you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so he is both human and divine. We see that here in Luke 1, 32-33, and verse 35. It says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. I love that language. He, he will reign on the throne of David. When you say the throne of David... Israel knew who, what you were talking about. They knew who David was. They had the history. They knew. And when, when you talk about reigning on the throne of David, you're talking about an earthly kingdom. But then the angel says in verse 35, and that's interesting too, because in 33 says the kingdom will have no end. His kingdom will have no end. But then in verse 35 it says, the angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most holy will overshadow you. And for this for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. So he's both human and divine. I told you last week that Jesus is a real person. And a lot of people will say, yeah, we just say he's a real person because, well, that's what the Bible says. I told you that when you're determining the existence of a person, because a lot of people say, well, prove that. And they want you to use the scientific method. And they don't understand that you can't prove a person's existence in the past using the scientific method. Just like you can't use the scientific method to prove that George Washington lived. So it's a flawed idea. It's a flawed concept. So what method do we use? We use the historical method. Were there people in history that were there, that, that, that witnessed this person, that saw their work? And we have history books that affirm people that lived during that day that wrote that George Washington existed. Well, whether you realize it or not, there are also writers back in Bible days and in first century AD that affirm that Jesus lived, that he was a man, and that he walked on the earth. So a lot of people get hung up on, well, you just believe that Jesus lived because the Bible says that, but I don't believe the Bible. Really? Okay. Well, then let's look at other non-Christian historical documents that speak to Jesus. And if you go and look, there are several books out there that, that address this. Uh, one that comes to mind is Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ. And in that book, he quotes many historians who have 
written and talked about Jesus. In that day, back in first century AD, for example, he mentions Tacitus. And Tacitus was the historian of the Roman Emperor Nero. Now, y'all, y'all, you get the history books. Y'all, y'all know, y'all, do y'all believe Nero was a real person? Or was history lying? Well, Nero's historian, Tacitus, in first century AD, mentions Jesus in private letters to the Emperor Nero and takes down things that Nero has said about Jesus. Particularly when, when there were fires and, and, and political unrest in Rome. These things have been documented. Also, uh, you, you, probably, you may have never heard of this guy, but his name is, is Pliny the Younger. And Pliny the Younger, is, uh, he, he's a, 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 he was a lawyer and a senator in uh, Bithynia, which is Asia, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And he was also in the Senate, and he had letters that he had written to the emperor of that day, Trajan. And in those, he mentions Jesus and the influence that Christians are having and the uproar that they're causing because people are following Jesus and doing what Jesus said, and they're worshiping him as they would a god. There are also writings... Uh, first century writings by Josephus who was a Jewish historian and in Josephus' writings he mentions and talks about some things concerning Jesus and not only that but there are first century Greek writers and, and Babylonian documents that refer to and talk about Jesus so for all the people that don't want to believe the Bible but will read a history book and say oh this is the truth even though it was written by you know a man even though it was written by somebody that wasn't a Christian well hey look historical documents that aren't written by Christians non-Christian documents refer to and affirm the fact that Jesus was in fact a man who lived during first century AD so for those who well you know I don't believe well he was conceived how's that you know we don't even know no we do know and it's been written about. I'm thankful because Jesus is divine. He is the Son of God, but He's also human. He's also human. And so in verses like Isaiah 53, it tells us that He was despised and rejected by men, that He bore our griefs, that He carried our, our sorrows, that you know He was oppressed and He was afflicted. How could those things be? If you're not God, if you're God, that can't be. But if you're man, it could be. So he's God, conceived by the Spirit. But it says that he bore grief, that he's, he's felt our shame. He's, he's dealt with those pain. He's been rejected by men. He's bore our grief. And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 4 tells us that we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. It also tells us that he was tempted at all points yet without sin. Can you tempt God? I mean, think about it. Could you really tempt God? A being who is all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing. He knows everything you're ever going to say, everything you're ever going to do, everything you're ever not going to say or do. And he's known about it before he even created the heavens and the earth. Do you think you can tempt him with anything? But Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted at all points and yet was without sin. So if he was tempted, that means he was human. (laughs) 
Because I don't know about you, but I get tempted. We've been fasting this weekend, and I was thinking about some egg drop soup that I'm making after church today. And I needed some stuff to get it, and I went into a store. And I had to hurry up and get what I was getting and get out the store. Because <laughs> I was tempted. See, man's tempted. God's not. So he's both human and divine. Number six. God works outside of universal laws and the laws of nature that he himself establishes. See, only God can say, I set some rules in motion for you, but you know what? When I choose to, and when it suits my divine purpose, which I have predestined, you know what? I can break through all of that. <laughs> and I can do something supernatural. Something that you've never seen before. Something that defies the laws of nature. See, people, that, that scares people. And well, well, you know, that defies the law of nature. There can't be God. He's God. He created you. Explain that to me. <laughs> Luke says in 1, Luke 1, 36 and 37, says, And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she was called, she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. See, God is notorious for doing just supernatural things that shock people, like opening up a woman's womb. How many times do we see in Scripture that a woman was barren, couldn't have children, but then all of a sudden God's favor is upon her, then all of a sudden he opens her womb and she has a child. See, God is the God who can do the supernatural. He's the God who, when doctors say no, he can say yes. You know, hearing all these stories, a lot of people don't believe in supernatural events, but it's got to be God when you have cancer and then you go in for a screening after a period of time and it's gone. I mean, if you know about cancer, I mean, cancer, cancer is like the board. It just starts grabbing other cells over here and just starts assimilating them in to, to them. And it just takes over your body. It just starts ruling. Cancer doesn't just go away. But God is not bound by the laws of the universe or the laws of nature. He works outside of them because he is outside of them. See, we want to believe that the world is a closed system. And it's, it, it cracks me up because people want to say it's a closed system and nothing from the outside can get in. And people want to refute the idea of a virgin birth, but they'll believe in the Big Bang Theory. How did that cause? Well, it happened by this and this and this. Okay, but how did that happen? Well, that happened by this and this and this. Okay, well, who created that? Well, we don't know. Well, shouldn't, shouldn't we? And should we base science and the history of the entire civilization on something that you don't know or can't prove? But we know how a virgin conceived and it's the same God who created the heaven and earth who made a big bang if you will who caused Mary a virgin to conceive see people
people don't want to believe God, but they want to believe all of these other existential ideas that point to the fact that there has to be a first cause. And it's God. It's God. Finally, number seven. It's the wrong book on your outline. Uh, it's actually Luke chapter 1, verse 38, not Mark. But we see Mary's response in verse 38 of Luke chapter 1. And it says, And Mary said, Behold, the bondservant of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Final thoughts. Some of us have doubted that Jesus exists. But there's overwhelming evidence to the contrary. We've questioned whether we can give our lives to him because we question whether he existed or not. And what I'm telling you today is that he, he exists. And that there is every bit of evidence to affirm that he does. And so I would encourage you that if you feel the Spirit of God drawing you to him, don't resist, but surrender. See, we get hung up sometimes on all that we don't understand, but there are so many things in life that work and we have no clue how they work. We don't understand how they work. We just know they do. And we treat them like they work by affirming it and utilizing it. You don't have to understand how every single thing works to put trust in it. I mean, a child doesn't see. The Bible tells us that we have to receive the kingdom as a little child. A child does not understand. Nathaniel does not understand how if he goes over and turns on the light switch, he doesn't understand how electricity comes into the building and there's a panel on the outside of the building and that runs the lines that go underground or above the ground to a power supply and how that power station powers everything. He doesn't know. All he knows is when I turn on the light, it comes on. I don't know or understand everything. I just know it works. I just know when I turn the light on, it comes on. And so I go into the room expecting that when I flip the switch, the light will come on. But see, far too many people trust other things like that when they have less evidence, but they won't trust in God or surrender to God when there's clear evidence. And while you don't maybe understand everything, God is very clear in his word at how this thing works and of what relationship with him looks like and of his desire for you. So much so that when things fell apart, he had already from the beginning initiated Jesus to come to visit and to live and to give his life and to die and to be raised up and then to give us his spirit that we could be in fellowship with him. So if you feel the spirit of God drawing you, don't resist. You might not understand everything, but there's enough evidence to determine that Jesus is, in fact, a real person. There's enough miraculous things that have been recorded to affirm that he is the Son of God and that he's done everything that Scripture has said that he has done, and there is nobody else worthy of our worship, nobody else who is worthy of receiving my life. I told you a couple weeks ago, we do a bad job of being Lord of our own lives. And we do a bad job of saving ourselves. But when we look around, there's nobody else that I feel like is worthy or capable of me relinquishing that responsibility to. Jesus is the one. He is worthy.
he is able. He's already done all that he can do to ensure that if you want to know him, you can. And if you want to be with him, you will. Next, God wants us, God wants to do the miraculous in some of us. And I think some of us have resisted what God wants to do because like Mary, we're saying, I ain't nobody special. And so we question, could God even do that in me? Why would God choose me? Why would God do that? I don't understand that. I'm nobody special. I know people with more education. I know people that are more people person, less people. I know people that are smarter. God, why would you choose me? And so God wants to do some things, but we're down on ourselves and we feel unworthy. We feel like, God, how can you use me? Understand this. Apart from God's grace in your life, we are nothing. But as the angel told Mary when he was talking about John the Baptist being in the womb of Elizabeth, nothing will be impossible with God. And so you and I can get caught up on, well, I'm not this and I'm not that. If God be for us, who could be against us? If God is working, <laughs> he's got it. God initiates this thing. And I believe that God wants to do some miraculous things in our life. But they require that we take some steps. And maybe we haven't made those steps because we've questioned, can God really do this? I see all of my mistakes. I see all of my failures. I see all of my faults. I see all the times I've messed up. I see all the times I said I was going to do right and I asked for forgiveness and I said, I ain't going to never do that again. And God, then I turned around and I did it again. And that's been my history for as far as I, as long as I can remember. So God, you cannot be wanting to do this in me because I'm a failure. I'm a nothing. I'm a loser. And not only do I feel this way, but other people treat me this way. Other people tell me I am. So, how can this be? But as I told you before, God's initiative and God's favor equals endless possibilities. And while you think it's impossible, if God can conceive a child by the power of the Holy Spirit and a virgin, and you think about how miraculous that is, there's nothing he's asking and that he wants to do in you that's out of the realm of possibilities. So understand that God's favor is upon you and you are chosen and he wants to work in you. And I pray that you would submit to that. And then I also believe that God wants to conceive and mature and birth some things out of some of you who have been barren for a long time. And you said, God, I know what you said, but I think it's past the time. If you had, God, if you had done it 10 years ago, if you had done it 20 years ago, God, I could see it. But God, it seems like it's too late. It seems like it's past the time. God, why would it happen now? But there's some things that God wants to birth in you, that he wants to mature in you, and that he wants to bring out of you to be a blessing to the kingdom. And I want to tell you today that God is a God who, when the womb has been closed, at his appointed time, will open the womb and bring forth life. And so if God has spoken something to you, and you've been holding on to it for a long time, but it hasn't happened, and you're thinking, well, maybe I heard wrong. I must have heard wrong. 
Surely this should have happened by now. I want you to know that God can still do it. That if your situation is dead and the doors of possibility and opportunity have been closed and you've been praying that God would open them and they haven't opened, you've been praying that God will begin to do some things and they haven't happened and you've given up, I want to tell you that if God has said it will come to pass, it shall come to pass. He is a God who in your old age will bring life. He is a God that in situations that have been closed and nature has said it's closed and the universe has said it's closed, God is a God who will open up the doors and say, no, nothing is impossible with me. Amen? So if you feel God's spirit drawing you, don't resist. If you sense that God is wanting to do something in your life, but you've been caught up in your own unworthiness, acknowledge that we're unworthy, but then get past that and look at the God that you serve. And remember that nothing is impossible with him. And then if God has been wanting to do something in you, God's been leading you to do something, God's been telling you something's going to happen, but it seems like it's too late. Remember that God can do it. That God will do it. In his way and in his time, it shall be done because nothing is impossible for him. The God who conceived a child and a virgin can conceive and bring forth the thing that he said he will do in your life. When nobody else can, God can. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful, so very thankful, that before we were even dead in our trespasses and sin, it was already in your plan to provide a way that when we did fall, that we could be restored to you. Lord God, we thank you for the truth that we find in your word. And I pray today, Lord, that as you are working in all of our hearts, if there are some here that do not know you, we pray that your Holy Spirit would draw them to you. Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts, in their minds. God, that that when they would would try their hardest to resist you. And the enemy would come with all kinds of excuses and reasons that they should not say yes, that they would know in their heart of hearts who you are and what you've done for them, that they would ignore the lies that the enemy would tell them and embrace the truth that is in Jesus Christ. Do a work, God, in their hearts. Show them how much you love them. Draw them close to you, Lord, that they might say yes to you. For the one today who has been resistant, has been hesitant to follow through on the things that you've called them to do because they see their own inadequacies. God, help them to see your adequacy. Help them to see, help them to remember, help them to know that there is nothing impossible for you. And that when we surrender our lives to you, that there's nothing that you can't do. So, Lord, help us to get over all of our humanity complexes and recognize that the same Jesus, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will give life to our mortal bodies, that the thing that you have declared can be so. And then to the one who's been discouraged, to the one who's held on to your promise for a long time and wondered if it would come to pass, I pray, God, that that your word today would remind us that in your time and in your season and in your way, you 
bring forth life. Father, when doors and opportunities have been closed and we would say, okay, that's it. May we remember this story and may we trust that just as you were able to do it then, you can do it now. Thank you, God, for the word. And I pray, Father, that it's fallen into good soil that it would bring about a harvest, 30, 60, 100 fold. Help us, Lord. Show us those things in our life that would try to choke out the word and cause it to be unfruitful. And God, like a gardener pulls weeds, God, show us those things we need to pull out and uproot and cast away that your word would grow and be fruitful in our lives. Bless now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.